started a series a couple of weeks ago on enjoying divine intervention. And I've been emphasizing the fact that um, one of the things that a Christian must never do without is divine intervention. A lack of divine intervention will make a Christian's life, anyone's life for that matter, but particularly anyone who names the name of the Lord, a frustrated life. Your life will not be frustrated. And so we really want to thank God for how he has been helping us. And those of you who are joining us on LiveGate Outreach TV because you are watching this on our YouTube channel or you are listening to the podcasts in iTunes uh, on, or on the links through Buzzsprouts, I want you to know also that God is going to be intervening in your lives. Your situations will never remain the same. You see, the Bible says it is the entrance of the word of God that gives light and it gives understanding to the simple. A lot of the dark situations and the challenges we go through in life is simply because there is a dearth of the entrance of the word. Either it is shut out of ignorance or it is not allowed to come in because we do not have the faith to receive it. But God is pulling down all those barriers through this period. And I believe the Lord that you will truly enjoy divine intervention in the mighty name of Jesus. And so today we will be looking at our topic which is victory over shame. We have been looking at the victory that Christ gave to us by the blood of Jesus ever since we started on Resurrection Sunday. And this is the third in the series. Last week we looked at fear. We said fear is a spirit of the enemy that is is sent to continue to stop us, to attempt to stop us from becoming who God wants us to be. And uh, we looked at the different things. I would encourage you to try to get a hold of the message online. Uh, But today we are looking at victory over shame. Victory over shame. And um, one of the things that Christ did for us, obviously, on the cross, is to deliver us from shame, reproach, from guilt. Everyone in this life has done or will at some point do something that would truly make them feel shameful. Now, it only varies in degrees. There are many times we think, Thoughts, even that nobody is aware of. But even with that thought alone, we even feel the guilt, which if we harbor for such a long time can become a shame. And there are times that we say things and do things. So we must understand that as long as we are in this flesh, there will be many occasions that the enemy will present to us that will want to keep us in the place of shame. So we must know that one of the redemption privileges we have through the blood of Jesus is to be delivered, rescued totally from this foul spirit that is of the devil. You see, shame is only seeing yourself as a failure because of what you've done. There are two ways shame comes to a person. Either it comes as a result of what we have done that we know is shameful or that we feel guilty of, and especially After we have been saved. You see, for a child of the devil, or somebody rather who is yet to be born again, um, it might be easy to get away with many things because the conscience is not yet aligned to the spirit of God, which convicts. And so we may do things and say things that we may not necessarily feel the guilt of. Of course, there are moral, uh, there is a moral compass in every human being that points you to the way you ought to go and know what to do between right and wrong. But a child of God who already has been born again, who is already a new creation, 
stands the risk of operating under shame much more than somebody who is yet to have that sort of an encounter with God. So as children of God, we must understand that the reason why Jesus came to deliver us from shame is because it is also an, app, uh, an apparatus or a device of the devil which will always seek to keep us in our old nature or in the punishment that should belong to the people who are yet to have encounters with God. And so we must understand this. Shame can come either by reason of what we have done, as I said, or it can also come by reason of just the feeling that we have when we are feeling inferior or deprived. Many times there is the guilt or the, there is the feeling of inferiority that believers have, unfortunately. And we must understand that these are demonic spirits. When we feel deprived as Christians or we feel inferior, these are demonic spirits that are attempting to make a mockery of our faith and to deny us of our privileges in redemption. So we must not allow them. Now, guilt is one of the things that causes shame because when somebody does something wrong, they have a guilt. Guilt is not completely bad. One of the reasons why God allows guilt is that God uses guilt in the place of conviction. When we feel guilty and we feel convicted and it leads us to repentance, that's God's plan. You see, when you feel that something you've done or said is making you guilty of doing that thing, and then you are able to go before God with that same uh, attitude of humility to say, Lord, I did this or I said this and I shouldn't have done this, and I really feel guilty, have mercy on me, forgive me. Cleanse me from unrighteousness, like David prayed in Psalm 51. That is of God, and it leads to repentance, and that is good. But when guilt is to be seized or hijacked by the enemy, to be something that does not necessarily lead to repentance, but continual torment, which brings shame every time you remember it and think about it, that is of the devil. And that is what we are going to be dealing with today. So as... We'll go through this message today. I want you to, it is such a very broad topic as we always have with these topics, but I want to just concentrate on a few things. As we go through it, I want you to listen and I want you to believe God for certain things that would help you. Everybody needs to understand that we must continue to battle over the attempt of the enemy to keep us in shame. So every believer must walk in the victory over shame and you will walk in yours. I say you will walk in your own victory in the name of Jesus. I want to start with the shame that comes by the reason of inferiority or depravity. You see, the devil succeeds many times to rob us of our identity. When you lose track of who you are, you can easily feel shameful in many instances. You can easily feel deprived. Many Christians, because of the way we are meant to serve God and are meant to uphold the high standards of the word of God, we feel deprived that we are not able to do certain things in the way of the world. Now, that should not be the case. We feel ashamed when we feel that we cannot access certain things that everybody else who is ungodly is able to access so easily. 
But we must never lose our identity in the fact that God has done everything for us. That's why we read in Isaiah chapter 54 verse 1. We're not going to read everything again, but we read it in the Bible reading. Verse 1 says, Sing, let's read together. Sing, O barren, you who have not born, break forth into singing and what? Cry aloud. You who have not labored with child. Why? For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married woman, says the Lord. The Bible says even though you cannot see those children, you need to break forth into joy. The word barren there is not, even though it was used to typify barrenness as in childbearing in this case, but it is everything that looks vague, everything that looks unproductive. We must understand that we have to keep rising above that attempt of the enemy to put us to shame. A woman who is expecting, you can never understand this scripture unless you are a woman who is expecting to have a child and you are waiting on God. You can relate to it much better. A woman who is gone one year, two years, three years, four years, five years, ten years, fifteen years, more than that, waiting and trusting God for the first child that, uh, to be born, will always be in a situation that unless she breaks forth into singing, the devil will keep telling her, you have nothing to rejoice about. Look at all the people that got married with you. Your children, their, their children are in, in secondary school. Some of their children are in universities. And here you are. What do you have to sing about? That's why the prophet said, look, you woman, you must break forth. The word break there is emphatic. You must determine not to allow that thing to hold you down. Not to allow that thing to become a shameful thing for you. For there are more children for you than you can even imagine. Hallelujah. What you and I need to understand that the ways of God are different. And if you understand these things, when a, a, a person, you see, when you feel a sense of depravity of some sort or inferiority, it is because you have lacked a knowledge of who you are. When as a child of God, you know that you are a royal priesthood, you are a peculiar person. You are called to show forth his praises, not his, not his disgrace, not a disgrace. You are called forth to show forth his praises, not anything else that is a reproach. You are called forth to show forth his praises, his beauty. That's who you are. When you understand that, you are always at peace. A child of God that does not know who he or she is will be feeling shame and guilt and depravity in many respects that are unnecessary. You must understand that you are a chosen generation. You are a special person in God's hands. Hallelujah. That's why God now said to that woman in verse 4, let's go to verse 4. He said, do not fear for you will not be ashamed. You will neither be disgraced for you will not be put to shame. Can I hear an amen? He said, you will not be put to shame. He said, you will forget whatever the shame was of your youth and will not remember the reproach of your widowhood anymore. I said, that will be your portion. Why? Let's read verse 5 together. He said, for your maker, read it with me, for your maker is your husband, the Lord of hosts, 
is his name and the Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. He is called the God of the whole earth. Hallelujah. He said, that is your maker. He said, that is your husband. He is your maker. He said, if you are the barren and you have a husband who is the God of the whole earth, you have no reason to be worried. Hallelujah. This applies to every area of your life. When you have it settled that you have the God who is your Jehovah, Jireh, the God who supplies all your need according to not the local economy, but to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. That knowledge alone will not let even money be a threat to you anymore. I say money will not be a threat to you anymore. In the name of Jesus. You say, but Pastor David, how can it be physically? I can't see the money in my account. You need to know how to walk by faith. You need to know how to connect to your maker. Who is also your husband? Who is the Lord of hosts? He makes all things beautiful. I say he makes all things beautiful. And he will make it beautiful in your life. In the name of Jesus. So we must never allow a feeling of depravity in any way. Some of us even feel deprived in our faith. Some of us do not have the confidence to share our faith because of the intimidation that the society has put on religion and particularly the Christian faith. How many of you know that there is no faith on the planet that is as challenged as the Christian faith? Everywhere, every nation. Anything you want to do in many of the other faiths, you are allowed to do it. But the moment you wear a cross, the moment you say Jesus, you can pray any prayer anywhere and use any name, any God you want to call, no problem. But if you pray in a private function or a public function rather, and you say Jesus, people get offended. That's where the problem comes. They'll say, must you use that name? I heard many years ago, somebody in this country said that, how can't we just enjoy Christmas? That these Christians, must Christmas be about Jesus again? <laughs> I'm telling you, I, I don't know whether you heard what I said. He said, must Christmas be about Jesus again? That we can't just enjoy Christmas? These Christians are disturbing us <laughs> that it has to be Jesus Christ. I, I listened, I said, am I hearing correctly? <laughs> So Christmas, what is it about? I beg you, tell me. <laughs> you see, it has been so twisted. The world has so twisted the minds of people that, and, and sadly, Christians are even ashamed to publicly proclaim it. This is why Paul said in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because I know that it is the power of God unto salvation. Hallelujah. Say, I'm not ashamed. I will never be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation. Paul said it is the power to everyone who believes. First to the Jews and also to the Greek. We must never even be ashamed. Some of us feel deprived because the world laughs at our faith. Because the devil makes people mock at our belief. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, he said, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But for us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It is the power of God. But if believers do not know that, even their faith, they will not be able to proclaim in the public places and in the spaces that they ought to proclaim it. We will not be ashamed of him. I say we will not be ashamed of him. He has given us victory over that shame and we must continue to walk in it. 
So any time that depravity of any kind is the source, we must keep remembering who we are. This is just the secret to overcome that source of shame. Inferiority complex, when it sets in, there are times you feel intimidated. That's why Paul David said, I think it's Psalm 73, he said, he said, do not be envious of sinners. There are times you feel intimidated by sinners. There are times you feel intimidated by people who have accomplished more, and particularly people who have no link to, to the faith. You must not allow that to put you to shame. Because you are a child of the Most High God. I say you are a child of the Most High God. And the Lord will continue to exalt you in the mighty name of Jesus. Having said all that, we need to also understand that there are times which we must agree that sin easily causes us to walk in guilt and shame. We have to understand it. We have to recognize it. And we have to overcome it. Amen? We must remind ourselves that the finished work of Christ has delivered us from every effect of sin. This is why the Bible says in Romans chapter 8 verse 1 and 2. He said, there is therefore now, let's read together. There is therefore now no condemnation for us to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Verse 2. It says, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has what? Made me free from the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death is the simple law. It's the basic law everyone is born into. The moment you are born, you are born into that law. But the life that we have, in Christ Jesus translates us when we are new creations. Second Corinthians five seventeen. When we are new creations, that new creation reality means that we are now operating by the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. So it makes us free from the law of sin and death. That simply means that does that mean that a believer is now free to sin as he likes? No, it doesn't mean so. But it means that when a believer sins, he is still not under the law of sin and death but as a believer he is able to go before his maker and he before his god and operate by the law of spirit of life and say lord jesus i come to you have mercy on me and when he is delivered when he is delivered by the truth that is revealed his life is set free it is the devil that tries to keep us in the place where we are always imagining death where we are always imagining punishment and we are always living in guilt. When the guilt of a sin is so persistent in the life of a person, it leads to shame. Many believers are not confident to talk about their faith openly today. They are not confident to serve God the way they ought to serve God simply because they are losing sight of the fact that they are operating in the law of the spirit of life. And the Lord will continue to deliver every one of us in the name of Jesus. So let us understand, when God allows godly guilt, it is to help us to repent, just like I said earlier. Second Corinthians chapter 7, from verse 8, Paul said something here. Anything more than this is not of God. Paul said, for even if I made you sorry with my letter, he wrote a letter to the Macedonians. He said, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I perceive that the same epistle made you sorry. It made you feel guilty. 
because I pointed out some of the things that you were doing. This is my paraphrase. He said, though only for a little while. But verse 9, let's read verse 9 together. After they, they, were, they felt sorry, verse 9, he said, let's read together. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. Verse 10. For godly sorrow, verse 10, for godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation. Not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. You will not have the sorrow of the world. I say you will not have the sorrow of the world. In the name of Jesus, godly sorrow, godly sorrow produces repentance. Godly sorrow produces repentance and that leads constantly to salvation. Not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world simply produces death. This is the devil's work to keep making people have the sorrow of the world. He will say, remember you said this last week. Remember you said this last year. Remember you said this yesterday. Remember you did that just this morning. And all he's trying to do there is to get you out of the law of the spirit of life and get you to be conforming to the law of sin and death. And that only means shame. You will not be put to shame in the name of Jesus. So when God allows us to have guilt we must completely understand the place that God is allowing it so that we can step out of that guilt and come to him. So I will quickly tell us three things that we ought to do to keep having this victory over shame that is brought about by the guilt of sin. Number one is obviously we need to quickly confess the sin. The Bible says if we say, 1 John 1, 8 and 9, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Let's read verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Not some unrighteousness. By the way, you see, we are the ones that have categorized sin and call sin major sin or small sin. White lie and black lie. There is nothing like that. Every act of theft, whether the person stole a paper clip or he stole a car. There is no difference. There is no difference. It is still an act of theft. Every act of lust. A man that looks at a woman. Jesus said so, isn't it? He said if a man looks at a woman and desires her. He has committed adultery in his heart. And the one who actually did it physically. There is no difference. As far as godly standards are concerned. So we must understand what this thing called sin is. Because some believers have, have elevated some sins. And have thought that there are some other ones when you are doing it is no more sin. And those ones who are doing that one, when they f- find out that somebody does such big, so-called big sin, they point fingers. That's what Jesus was saying. <laughs> he said, if you have no sin, cast the first stone. Everybody went away. Isn't it? Because we must understand that sin is sin. David said, if you are to mark iniquity, who will stand? So if it is this thing called sin, nobody. He said, if we say we have No sin. Go back to verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So if we say we have the truth, the truth always helps us to see 
where we are falling short. The word sin just simply means missing the mark. Not being who God says you should be at every point. So we must know how to keep asking God to forgive us. Not from living in a place of fear of sin, but knowing fully well that every time we we live, we have the potential to commit a sin. And so we must keep saying, Lord, have mercy. You are faithful, you are just to forgive. Nobody must ever outgrow the place of asking God for forgiveness. Nobody. Second Chronicles, I'm giving you some base scriptures, but should help you as you look at this thing. Second Chronicles 7.14, he said, If my people who are called by my name, these are the righteous, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. He said, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin and heal their land. Godly sorrow should lead to repentance. The word repentance means turn around. The word repentance means to refuse to keep going the way of sin. And so if we come, we humble ourselves, we seek his face, he will heal our land. God does not want us to die in shame. I looked at the two stories, one I just touched on briefly a few minutes back. Two stories of stoning in scripture. There are many cases of stoning. Paul was stoned a few times and he refused to die before he eventually died. But what I'm trying to say is that there are two stories that i like us to compare this morning. The story of the woman that was caught in adultery in John chapter 8 and the story of Stephen who was also stoned. The story of the woman represents God and his intervention in preventing a person being put to shame by reason of what they have done. Praise the Lord. Look at what Jesus said in John chapter 8. John chapter 8 verse 10. It shows you that God is more interested in the repentance of a sinner. He's much more interested. That's why the Bible says he is patient, not willing that any should perish. John chapter 8 verse 10. Let's read together. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, verse 11, let's read together. She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. He didn't just say go from here. He said go and sin no more. Because the sin is what brought you to where you are now. The sin you committed is what made you have to run to me now. When you don't sin anymore, you will not have people who will want to stone you and you will not have any need to have to run to me again. But now that you have come, you, I do not condemn you. And that is what you must understand with Jesus. Anytime you go to him, he is not condemning you, but he is also saying the same thing. Don't just, make sure you just don't sin anymore. You see, the time a believer spends to, to be repenting of so many sins can be used to pay, pray more productive prayer. You have only 30 minutes to pray in the morning. And 20 minutes you are confessing sin of <laughs> yesterday, day before yesterday. It's too much. So you avoid it altogether. And just come in and say, Lord, I thank you. Have mercy on me as I come before you. Thank you for the blood of Jesus that cleanses me. Because as far as your conscience is concerned, you can't even find anything. But because you know that the Bible says if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. That prayer is quick. And then you begin to intercede. You begin to thank God. You begin to intercede. And you enjoy that few minutes you have in a place of proper supplication with thanksgiving than that of just seeking for repentance. So Jesus prevented 
the stoning of this woman because she had been put under a tribute by people due to her own action. But you see, I looked at Stephen. The same Jesus was present when Stephen was to be stoned. It was just that it was the transformed Jesus. Jesus now at the right hand of God the Father. But we know Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Whether he, when he was here on earth or as his person in heaven. Acts chapter 7, verse 55. The Bible says, but he, Stephen, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. And who? Jesus standing at the right hand of God. That is not a different Jesus from the same one that that woman knelt in front of. But look at what he now did. And Stephen said, verse 56, and said, look, I see the heavens open and the son of man standing at the right hand of God. Go to verse 59. And of course, they were not happy about that, but look at verse 59. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God, saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. So I I paused and I said, Jesus, you prevented them from stoning a woman to death. You did not stop them from stoning your son, Stephen, to death. He could could shout from heaven and just say, go away. (laughs) Everybody will run away. (laughs) That's all he needed to say, go away, and everybody will run away. (laughs) You know, he could have done anything. He could send thunder or fire or just do something or make it impossible for them to throw a stone. He could do it. But why did he not do it? Because you see, there were two different people in two different circumstances. And this shows you the magnanimity of God. One was not going to be allowed to die in her sin. Before Jesus said, neither do I condemn you, she was still condemned. They would have killed her as an adulteress. How many people understand what I'm saying? She would have died unrepented and gone to hell. Get this. She would have died a sinner and gone to hell a sinner. So Jesus said, let me see if you don't have any sin. He used that as God gave the wisdom, they left her. And after that point, when the the accusers left her, he ministered to her. The moment he said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. That was her point. John 3, 17. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. So those words brought the woman's salvation. And from that point, we never heard again that they they tried to stone the woman again. Praise the Lord. But Stephen was already a saint. And this is why I want us to understand, this does not mean that God will always allow people to put us to death because we are saints. But I'm telling you the importance of repentance and the importance of salvation as far as God is concerned. He prevented one who was yet to be saved from being killed. And yet he allowed his own son to be martyred. The same thing happened with the robber that I always give the example of that was at the right hand of Jesus before he died. He was still waiting. Every opportunity for repentance and to have a turnaround to be delivered from shame is always an opportunity that God takes immediately. Praise the Lord. So we must continue to confess our sins and the Lord will continue to intervene in Jesus' name. The second thing very quickly is that we must understand the power of fellowship. Unfortunately, believers, the devil has managed many times to work against believers in being able to fellowship one with another effectively. 
And so many believers have lost the place of fellowship. We must, James chapter 5 verse 16 says, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. How many people, be honest with yourself, when last did you go to a fellow believer and say, brother, this is my struggle? We don't do it anymore. We don't do it anymore because the devil has succeeded in making people twist such things and use it against the people who should be the support. Every one child of God must understand that you are placed by my side and I'm placed by your side so that we can continually be accountable. So that we can continually be confessing to one another and praying for one another. Not that if I tell you that, brother, this is the thing I need you to pray for, you say, hey, pastor. <laughs> and then the whole Warsaw will hear it. That's not what he sent you to do. I came to tell you so that you can pray for me. You came to tell me, not that I can take you and say, ah, you, what, bro? <laughs> no. You say, wow, okay, we stand together. And then there might be counsel. God gives counsel. Say, take this step, avoid this thing, this and that. Somebody say, you know, brother, many people don't know this about me, but the truth is, uh, I, I, can't, I can't stop smoking. And uh, you say, really? And then you give counsel, you pray. And because they have told you, you stand with them, you pray with them. Joyce Meyer said when God called her into ministry, she was a heavy smoker. Heavy smoker. She didn't know anything. She was very raw. She called people for Bible study and she was smoking in her living room and teaching them the Bible. So somebody said, ah, you can't be doing this anymore. That you are, she said, show me in the Bible. You know that kind of raw thing. She said, show me in the Bible. We say, hey, you are destroying yourself and blah, blah, blah. So she got convicted later on, but it took time. She said, even when she started doing big meetings, she would park in the parking lot. During the break time, she would go into her car and smoke. You've never heard that from Joyce Meyer? She would smoke and she would wind down a little and lie down. People would not know. They would just see smoke coming out of the car. <laughs> they wouldn't know who was smoking there. They didn't know it was the speaker. You know, the woman is very practical. Her story has touched millions of people because she has very, very extraordinary stories. Abused her by her father for, for years and yet was able to forgive the same man before he died. Very outstanding stories, outstanding stories. She said, until God now led her to the right people who were now not condemning her because she was running away from everybody else who was criticizing her, her addiction. But now God brought her, connected her to the right people, and God used the person also of David Meyer, her husband, to speak to her and, and continue to believe in her. And one by one, all those tendencies were dropping off from her life. This was many years ago, probably about 40 years now. But what I'm trying to say is that we must understand the place of our vulnerabilities. Unfortunately, we don't understand that the closer you get to people, the more you discover their weaknesses. And what we tend to do is that rather than helping each other, God brought us closer to discover those weaknesses so that we can help each other. But what we do in the body of Christ is that we use those weaknesses against each other. It is a device of the devil. We must not allow it. If you are close to somebody and you discover a particular weakness, what you need to do is to pray with them and help them and be confidential about it. Unless there is a need, of course, to escalate any matter, if it is a case of abuse or something that needs to be treated differently. Apart from that, keep it there. Look at Jesus spoke to Peter. Luke chapter 22, verse 31. Look at what Jesus said. 
the, the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked that, you may, that he may sift you as wheat. Verse 32, but I have what? Prayed for you that your faith should not fail. When you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. We never had Jesus call Andrew, say, do you know what? That Peter, he will deny me. Hey, call uh, Bartholomew. Say, do you know what? Peter, he will deny me. I just told him, even though I prayed for him. Did you hear that from Jesus? It was a confidential discussion. No, it's fun. it sounds funny, but this is the reality. This is what happens this day and age. Somebody will see something about a brother or a sister, and then it becomes something that everybody else hears. That's not God's plan. That's not God's plan. He said, I have prayed for you. This is going to happen to you. I've prayed for you. Till the time when the cock crew and they saw eyeball to eyeball that it has happened as it was. Jesus never said anything to anybody. Even Judas. Jesus said the one who dips. He never called his name once. He said the one who dips his bread into the same plate with me. The cup, cup with me. And when Judas did it and all that we knew who it was. But when he came to him in Gethsemane and he kissed him, Jesus virtually whispered to his ear and said, would you betray the son of man with a kiss? What am I trying to say? I'm not saying that we should just cover sin and just be uh, careless about sin. But what I'm trying to say is the place of accountability in fellowship, we must not lose it as a body of Christ. We must keep understanding that your strength may be my area of weakness. My own strength may be your area of weakness. Why God brings us together is to help each other. There are people who have no problems with certain things. No problem, absolutely. And there are people who, that is their first weakness. So the one who does not have a problem in that area is meant to counsel the one who has a problem in that area. And this is how it works. So this is how God helps us to keep overcoming the guilt so that we can stop those sins and those weights. The Bible says, let us easily, uh, the, the sin that easily beset us, let us lay them aside. Many of us want to lay them aside, but we don't have the power to do so. We don't have the wisdom to do so. We need the strength of fellowship, and the Lord will keep helping us to do it in the name of Jesus. Finally, I want to say we should be living by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. The same Peter, after Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit came upon them, we saw that he became very bold. Acts chapter 2 verse 14. Say, but Peter standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, men of Judea and all those who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you. Heed my words. The same Peter that was running from a little girl just a few days before. The same Peter became very bold. The power of the Holy Spirit is what keeps us bold and confident. And we must never underplay it. Look at what he said again in verse 38. Then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That was a man who now was walking under the influence of the Holy Ghost. When as a child of God, we don't allow the Holy Spirit to infill us continuously, we must keep getting infilled and refilled and getting, the Bible says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. So we must keep going there because that is how we have power to become bold over the things that were holding us back. The same Peter that denied Jesus was now the same Peter that can boldly proclaim Jesus to thousands of people without feeling intimidated. Write this down. It's not in our projections. John chapter 16 from verse 8 to verse 11. John chapter 16 from verse 8 to verse 11. He said, when he, the comforter, shall come, he shall 
convicts the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Verse 9 says, of sin because they did not believe. Verse 10 says, of righteousness because I go back to my father and you will no longer see me physically. And then verse 11 says, of judgment because the ruler of this world, the devil, is judged already. When you look at all that, the three things he's saying there is that every time you do something that you ought not to do, the Holy Spirit will convict you of that sin. But it is not for you to remain guilty. He is to take you also of righteousness, to remind you that you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And in any attempt of the enemy to accuse you, he is also going to be convicting you of judgment because the praise of this world has been judged. You must continue to stand in this confidence every time. Don't allow the devil to ever try to put you to shame. You will not be put to shame. I say you will not be put to shame in the name of Jesus. I like this thing that uh, Sir Winston Churchill said concerning being able to keep going. He said success is not final. Failure is never fatal. It is the will and the courage to continue that counts. Every time you feel an air of success, don't think you have arrived. The Bible says to him that thinks he stands, let him take heed lest he falls. Every time you think you have fallen, remember the Bible says even though the righteous, not the unrighteous, may fall seven times, he shall rise again. You pick yourself up and you say, Lord, I am set to keep going. I said you will keep going in the name of Jesus. I've always said none of this gives us a license to sin, but we must understand that the devil wants to keep us in guilt. Paul said, shall we continue in sin so that grace may abound? Say, God forbid. Somebody say, God forbid. And I add very humbly, but we must also never continue in guilt so that grace can actually abound. God wants grace to abound. Devil wants guilt to abound. You will not be guilty. I say you will not be put to shame. In the name of Jesus. Rise to your feet today and let us bless the Lord.